I don't know if you guys heard the news. It's tough news, are you ready? It actually came out um, right at the end of 2021. A lawsuit was filed in uh, the Southern District of Illinois against the Kellogg's company regarding strawberry Pop-Tarts. Did you guys hear this? Is anyone else a strawberry Pop-Tart fan? Is anyone just like a Pop-Tart fan? Oh, come on, I, you're just hiding. Who doesn't love Pop-Tarts? I also never understood the people who put the Pop-Tart in the toast, toaster, like what, you know. It's designed to be eaten out of the package. Why take an extra step, right? But here's the thing, here's what the, um, the lawsuit said about Pop-Tarts. The lawsuit claims that Kellogg's is misleading its customers with the name Strawberry Pop-Tarts. By claiming that the product has a strawberry filling, the suit says, the company gives the impression of a greater relative and absolute amount of strawberries than it actually contains. In reality, so I looked it up, in reality this is in the suit and according to Kellogg's documents, strawberry Pop-Tarts contain 2% or less of dried strawberries, dried pears, dried apples, and red 40 food coloring. So the lawsuit further claims that Pop-Tarts can't provide a true strawberry taste because of the presence of those other fruits, and the suit warns customers they're tricking you. They're giving you the false impression that you're eating strawberries when really you could be eating pears or apples, or pears and apples and strawberries and red 40. This isn't the only lawsuit that Kellogg's is facing right now, you guys. Um, they're being sued over Raisin Bran because apparently they label Raisin Bran heart healthy, and that's not true. And, uh, and this is my favorite one. Kellogg's is also being sued over frosted mini-wheats, all, all varieties of frosted mini-wheats, because their packaging claims that it's lightly sweetened. And I just want to be like, are you looking at it? Like, one whole half of it is sweetened, it's, fr it's labeled frosted, you know, like, what are we talking about, you know, why are, why are frosted mini-wheats being called up? But anyway, it's a sad day, who knows if your strawberry Pop-Tarts will remain being called strawberry Pop-Tarts uh, when this lawsuit is finished. This happens to, to us a lot in our, in our world, right? That there's a product that's labeled or advertised to be a certain way and it's not. How many of you guys over the, the pandemic years have bought something online that turned out to be not quite what you thought it was gonna be, right? Sometimes we think we're getting something and we get something else. Like in our Pop-Tart example this morning, um, a strawberry Pop-Tart, can it really claim to be a strawberry Pop-Tart if only 2% or less of it is, could, might possibly be actually strawberries. This is a little bit about the blessing we're gonna talk about this morning. We're in this series uh, called Blessed, and we're gonna read a very uh, short passage in 1 Thessalonians, so you wanna grab your Bible or the Bible from the pew in front of you and get turning, and, and while you're doing, let me tell you what the blessing is that we're gonna learn today. We're gonna learn about the blessing of sanctification, which has to do with are we who we truly claim to be? Are we really strawberry Pop-Tarts? Are we really followers of Jesus? And what might that look like? Like, what does it look like to be made right with God, to be pure, to be sanctified is the word that we're going to explore. God is a giver of good things. In the middle when it feels like there's so many things going wrong in the world, God gives us good things. And one of those good things he gives us is sanctification. And so let's look at this passage. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to just look at two little verses, but we're going to explore around there a little bit. This is um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, picking up in verse 23. Here's what God's word says. 
It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. God, I do ask that this morning we would have a sense of what it means to be your people who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus and who are also being cleansed, uh, being made right with you. As we look to the future, when, when that work will be done and we will be with you and yours forever. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to explore this text today by just looking at three things. We're going to look at the petition, the request that's, that's presented in this prayer. We've been looking at these prayers that offer blessings. So specifically asking the question, hey, what are we being blessed with? And we're going to look at the implications. So if that's a blessing that we're receiving, how does this blessing work itself out? What is it going to look like? And then finally, what is the foundation? How can we be sure? What what gives us confidence that this is a blessing that we are going to receive? So the petition, the implications, the foundation of sanctification. Let's start with petition. Notice how Paul's prayer here in this letter to his friends in Thessalonica, he, he's ending with this prayer, and so he's making a request of God. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Now, we just bumped up into a word that may be tough right? Because there's definitely some of us in this room, you heard the word sanctify, and you're like, yes, got it. I've downloaded the information that I remember about what that word means. And there's some of us in this room who are like, yeah, I've heard that before. I'm not quite sure. I know exactly what it means. And there's definitely some of us in this room who are watching online who just have no idea what that word means. It's just a churchy word, right? What does sanctify mean? And if we're talking specifically about the blessing of sanctification, what does that mean? Well, sanctification, here we go, is just the process of being sanctified. And to be sanctified is to be made holy. So just like, um, just like consumption is the process of consuming something, just like combustion is the process of burning something, just like liberation is a process of setting something free, sanctification is the process of becoming sanctified or being made holy. And oh no, we just bumped into another word, holy. <laughs> what do we mean when we say holy? That's another churchy word. So we're going to have to do a lot, of, a lot of defining here to help us understand holiness is rooted in, in sanctification. They're all rooted in this idea of who God is. That God himself, his, his defining characteristic is holy, and who God is defines holy. And so holy, at its, its root, its meaning means to be set apart, to be totally different. And so when the scripture uses this word holy, especially when it describes God, it's talking about God as the set apart one, the one who's totally different from creation and creatures. And so what he does and what he decides and who he is and how he thinks, he is holy, just because that's who he is. Holiness does not exist as a concept apart from God. It's not like holiness defines God. God defines holiness. It is who he is. So think about that throne room scene, right, in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he sees this magnificent temple scene, and, and what are the creatures crying out? They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Or think about those throne room scenes at the end of the scripture in Revelation when the creatures are crying out, holy, holy, holy. This is who God is. Who he is defines holiness. The character and action of God determines holiness, and as we come to reflect and live into who God is, we are experiencing holiness as well. 
This isn't just doing the right thing. This isn't just about doing the right thing. Now, some of us hear holy, and it has kind of a pejorative sense to it, right? Like if we said he's holier than thou, we're not giving a compliment, right? Or if we say, oh, she acts so holy, or, or you know, that's, you know, so set apart, we have this idea of it's kind of standoffish. It's kind of like a, a bragging thing. If we call someone holy, we're actually saying they're taking being right and being good too far. Like they step into goody two-shoes, area, right? It's kind of what we mean when we talk about holiness, but, but when the scripture talks about holiness, it's talking about something different. It's actually talking about being accepted by God. It's not about an external set of rules about the, at this point. What it's about is that God has set us apart for himself. Now, we all know a little bit about this. I grew up in a house. I don't know. I know it's not really like a common thing anymore, but I grew up in a house with a living room and a dining room. And here's the thing about a living room and a dining room when I was growing up. You don't use them, right? You don't use them. If, there's, if it's a holiday or if there's guests, you use them. But there's all this furniture that you don't sit on, right? Don't go, don't go hang out in there. That's the living room. And it always, even when I was a kid, made me laugh that we called it the living room and did zero living in the living room, right? Or we had special plates. We had special things that we would eat off of when the guests came or when it was a holiday, but you don't touch those places otherwise. They're going to stay in the cabinet. We have special foods. We know what it is for a thing to be set apart for special use. And this is the root of holiness because holiness is really about belonging to God. It's about being in right relationship with him. So a sanctified, holy person is in right relationship with God, and because they're in right relationship with God, they're going to be in right relationship with other people. And so, they're put, so, so to be holy, to be sanctified, to experience sanctification is to be made right with God. So that's the first part of what sanctification is. But there's really a second part, which is for something to be sanctified or made holy, it, it is pure and blameless. You'll see that Paul used that word as well. He said, I'm, I'm praying that you be kept blameless. And so holiness also implies that anything that would get in the way of being right with God, anything that would get in the way of fellowship with God has to be cleansed or removed. So think about the words um, from Psalm 51 that Nathan sang this morning for us, right? That, that think about David crying out, create in me what? A clean heart, right? Restore to me your right spirit. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. So, so there's also, there's this additional understanding of holiness. If holiness is being right with God, in right relationship with God, because God sets holiness, and here we are, then holiness is also about getting rid of the obstacles to being with God, being in fellowship with God. Um, uh, a, a long time ago, uh, when, when I lived up in the suburbs, I, I got invited to a very fancy dinner. Um, one of, our, uh, one of my staff assistants and I got invited over to these people's house, and she was kind of like an up-and-coming chef, and she wanted to create a meal for us. And I know I'm in trouble when a meal has courses, right? When a meal has courses, I'm like, oh, dear, so, you know, this is going down. And I'm not really a picky eater, but I'm also not a discerning palate. Like, those are two things, right? So it's really hard for me, like, oh, this is amazing, because I can't really describe what's amazing about it. I just, it's just good to me. So they, they drop this, this bowl of soup in front of us, and I'm like, oh, great, soup. And then she says, it's, it's lobster bisque, enjoy. And I was like, oh, no. You guys, I hate seafood. 
Like, I hate seafood. And I was like, what am I going to do? Right? And I was like, how am I? So, you know, really began this process over like five, ten minutes of me figuring out how to scoop the lobster out of my bisque and put it in my friend's bowl. Right? Like, remove it. And then he's like, this is amazing. I really want to eat this, you know. And if it had been any other thing than a formal setting where someone's really pleased to present a meal to you, you know, like, you would have just been like, oh, here, have my bisque. But no. So we, it was, it's pretty comical now looking back onto it, the, the ways we waited for someone to turn their back and then you know, flip some lobster into someone else's bowl. But this is the second idea of holiness. The second idea of holiness is the removal of that which is offensive. So the first idea of holiness is that we're set right with God. We're set apart for special use because we can belong to him now. Then the, the second meaning is that we're, we're, we're removing the things that might get in the way of that fellowship. We're, we're cleaning up. We're, we're, being, we're being cleansed. We're being made right. And then that third idea is really transformation into Christ-likeness. And they're all together. So the third idea is that Jesus is the Holy One, right? He is the one who lived the perfect life. He's the one who showed us how to be. He has made the way for us to be with God. And because he has done that, the Bible also talks about holiness as being made to be like him. And so we're, we're set apart for God's use. We're set apart to be like him. We're getting rid of the things that may be offensive to him and get in the way of fellowship. And that's resulting in our transformation to look more like Jesus. And this is the blessing that Paul's talking about today. That's sanctification. That's the process of making all of that happen. And it's not just that, that Paul asks that we would be sanctified or that God would sanctify us, but it's also that Paul asks that he would do that completely. So there's an implication here, right? Because if God is going to sanctify us completely, it's saying there's all parts of us that need to be cleaned and to be set apart and to be transformed. He names three of them. We could get into it. The theologians have a field day with this passage. Uh, we're not going there at all. But the fact that Paul says, look, there's, we're cleansed spirit soul and body, right? That there's all these pieces of us that need to be set apart and set right. There's all these pieces of us that need to be cleansed and and brought into fellowship with God. And there's all these pieces of us that need to be transformed so they look more like Jesus. And that's a process that needs to happen completely. It's not just that, but the last part of this petition is that he says, now would you keep them this way? So he's asking God, not don't just sanctify them, sanctify them wholly in every little hidden corner of their lives, sanctify them towards maturity, and now keep them that way till Jesus comes. Do you hear what he's saying? This is so important, friends. Listen, this is who we should be until the day that we die. This is what God wants from us. If there's breath in your lungs right now, God's will for you is to be sanctified through and through. If your heart is beating, if, there's, if, if you're alive and you're a follower of Christ, this is what's to be happening until the day that Jesus comes or the day that he takes us from here. We are to be in the process of being made holy. So that it it's kind of falls into this really important idea, this really important kind of theological idea that we should talk about really quickly, which is that way back when, we, when you were a person who trusted Jesus, right, to, to be the Lord and Savior of your life, when you said yes to Jesus, when he called you out of, of, of death into life, when he called you from darkness into light, when his effective will made you alive in Christ, you were declared holy, because his holiness was imparted to you. What Jesus was becomes yours because you became part of his family. We call that justification. And that's why Paul can write letters to saints. And it's why we can call you saints. It's why you stand forgiven in front of God right now. And we also know that one day God will return and he will restore creation. He's going to do a new creation. He's going to 
he's going to destroy all the bad things. He's going to bring justice and, and, and righteousness to the world. And then our holiness will be complete. That's glorification. But the thing is, between what God has already promised to do and what he's going to complete in the new creation is where we live. And we live right in the middle. And what defines the middle is sanctification. We're in the middle place where God has said, look, this is already true of you. You are holy in my sight. And by the way, this is going to be complete one day. You are going to live forever with me and nothing will stand in the way. There's no sin. There's no brokenness. In between, there is only sanctification. There's only growing into the holiness that God wants for us. So what are the implications? Well, here are the implications. The first one, don't miss it. We might miss it in in English um, because we we don't have a good word to to express the the second person plural. But right here, when, when Paul in his prayer, he says, I'm asking that you, that God himself would sanctify you and that you would be blameless, he is using the plural. So what he's really saying is now may the God of peace himself sanctify y'all completely and may y'all's whole spirit, would God do this to you guys? And so here's the first quick implication is just this. Listen, listen. My holiness, my holiness requires your attention. My sanctification is part of your responsibility. Your prayer is for me to be sanctified, and my prayer is for you to be sanctified. We are in this together, friends. This idea that God is going to make us look more like Jesus, this idea that God is setting us right, this idea that God wants to cleanse us from the things that get in the way, that's your responsibility for me. It's my responsibility for you. We're on a team. And so the first implication is to know sanctification is not just like a little project you're on by yourself. We're in this together. But here's the other implication, is that God is really talking about a holiness that comes both in the way we live, in our actions, and a holiness that comes in who we are, our character. And those two things are critically important. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. And it's not just who we are, it's what we do. And so we could look back at the context. Go ahead and look back down at your Bible and look back down at the verses that come right before what we just read. Really, uh, lots of scholars will tell you 1 Thessalonians is kind of all about sanctification. It looks like it's about the end times, but it's really about, hey, what's this process that God is doing to, to bring us into alignment with his will? But look down at verse 11. Look at what some of the things Paul says he's here, here. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These things have to do with our behavior, and they have to do with who we are. And so we're to treat people with patience, which means we need, our character needs to be growing into being a more patient person. We're to encourage one another, which means we need to start being more compassionate and attentive to others. 
We need to be gentle and thankful and joyful while we rejoice always, while we pray without ceasing. Both of these things are happening. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. And a great exploration of this, I really want to recommend it. Um, if you want to read a good book, there's a book called After You Believe by N.T. Wright who talks about what the sanctification process looks like in our character. And, uh, and I really, uh, really recommend it. So uh, an implication is that this is for us all. It's all our responsibility for each other. The second implication is this about what we do and who we are. But the next implication, and this one is critical, is that this is God's work. Did you see who's working in this blessing? It's God, right? So Paul says, hey, God, may God of peace himself sanctify you. Friends, we're, the, the idea here is that we don't clean ourselves up, right? The idea is imagine, imagine Jesus with a spray bottle and some rubber gloves and a, and a sponge, and he's coming to hang out with you because this is his job. This is the work that God does. Sanctification is God's gift before it's our goal. When I was, you guys know that my background's in journalism for, for a short bit, and one of the big no-nos in journalism is the passive voice, right? You're not supposed to say what happens to another person. You're supposed to say what someone has done, and it's really hard when we come to something like this because sanctification is a passive experience for us. This is God's work to make us holy, to make us right with him, to transform us. It's why we don't transform ourselves, the Holy Spirit himself is the one doing this work, and so there's all kinds of parts that go with this. It means that we need God's power. You, you guys all know, we all know what it's like to know we want to behave a certain way and feel like we can't do it. We all know what it's like to want something out of ourselves and to disappoint ourselves. But the idea here is that God is doing this long, slow, hard work in our lives, and it takes an entire lifetime as he's slowly transforming us, as he's slowly scrubbing us, as he's slowly reminding us of what he wants from us. And so we can't stress out. Don't stress out. Don't be anxious about your sanctification. Because it's God work. And you know what else you can't do? Don't boast. Don't think you got it all together because you don't. Because God's the one's doing all the good stuff in your life. This is God's personal work. But of course, because this is complicated, it's not just that God is the one working, it's that you and I must cooperate with him. You know, uh, sometimes, and I, I know they did it just for laughs, sometimes my uh, sister-in-law would be like, hey, go, uh, you know, when, when my nephews were, were babies, hey, go, go change his clothes and watch what happens, you know, put him in his pajamas or something. And you guys know what it's like when a baby fights you and you're trying to put on a onesie, right? Like, no, bend your arm, bend your arm, like, we're, we're working on this together, please cooperate with me, <laughs> you know, like, and so this is the image, right, that we cooperate. God is the one working but we need, to, we need to cooperate with the work that he's doing. What do we do? Well, we first have to acknowledge that sanctification is the goal. That, that the goal is for you and I to be made right. We can go back and you can look in, in, in a chapter ahead in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and you'll see that, that it, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. God's will for you is that you would be made holy. Friends, listen transformation into holiness, into Christ-likeness, is what you were made for. We may think some different things. We may think that I was made to, to have a good career and, and build up a good retirement so I can, I can have a, a happy life and provide for my kids, and that's a wonderful thing. 
And we may think, you know, what's most important to me is to get into the right college or to have a, 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 a relationship with someone who loves me and cares for me or, or to, to, I don't know, sp spend the money that I want on the things that I want or to provide for the people that I love for. But here's what it means to cooperate with God in sanctification. The first thing we have to do is to acknowledge this is the primary work that's supposed to happen in our lives. None of those things I named were bad but they aren't the primary thing you were built for. You and I were built to reflect God in the world, to be brought into relationship with him. Sanctification is God's will for you. It is God's will for me. Now, he can do it in the middle of, of, of whatever else God is calling us to, but we have to acknowledge first and foremost that the goal of our lives is to be made holy, to have our character shaped to have our behavior changed, to be being built more into a reflection of Christ in the world. This is God's will for us. It is what we are built to do. And so we yield to his instruction. We participate in his work. We allow ourselves to be challenged. We don't quit on it. We don't graduate from church. We don't get tired and frustrated and so back out. We allow ourselves to be in the process of sanctification to the end. You don't ever finish, you don't ever arrive, we don't ever plateau. And this is hard. Because if, if this is truly God's work that we cooperate in, it means that sometimes, listen guys, sometimes there will be friction. Sometimes it's going to be hard. And sometimes the work that God wants to do in me is in conflict with what I want. And sometimes what God is teaching me about building a better character in me is in conflict with like the way that I'm built. And so we, we're going to start experiencing some friction. We're going to start experiencing some places in our lives where like, God, I don't, I don't like what you're doing or I don't want to be that kind of person or is this really as hard as it's going to be? And in all those places, we have to say, look, is this, am, am I really invested in the goal that I would be more holy? Am I really invested in God's purposes for me that he is transforming me to look like him? It takes time and it's hard. If it was easy and if you could achieve it in the first, you know, 20 years of being a believer, this world would be a different place. But it's not. There's this picture in the Chronicles of Narnia, I may have shared it with you before, you're familiar with it, where a character named Eustace Scrub has been turned into a dragon. And, uh, and, and he's just, he's a mess, he doesn't like it, he's, he's a monster, he's a literal monster. And, and Aslan, who's the kind of picture of, of Christ or God in, this, in these stories, comes to Eustace and says, look, I can help you be a boy again, but you're going to have to submit. So Aslan the lion takes his claws and he starts pulling the scales off of Eustace. And it's painful, and it's hard. And he keeps going, and it lasts all night long. As Aslan, as, as Eustace thinks, no, haven't you pulled enough away from me? Haven't you done enough damage? Am, am I a boy again? Am I a human again and not a dragon? And Aslan says, no, you need to stay still. There's more work to do. And he keeps clawing the scales off of Eustace. This is the picture of holiness. This is the picture of the process of being made holy. But here's the beautiful thing, right? Is the foundation. 
If that's the blessing, and if those are some of the implications of that blessing, how do we know that that's really happening? How do we know that this is what God is doing and wants to do? Well, praise the Lord that Paul tacked on verse 24. Because he's, he's implying so much about what it means that God is working to sanctify us. There's so much in that. And then he says in verse 24, But he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. The foundation of this is that it's based in the nature of who God is. Do you hear how God is described? He's described as the God of peace. That's the God of shalom. That's the God who's setting all things right, making us right with him through the work of Christ on the cross, making the world right as he restores it back to what his plan for it was in the new creation, calling us to join him in that kingdom building as we care for the people who need it, as we love others, as we reach out to others in Christ's name. Like this is the God of peace who's calling us forward. This is the one on whom we can stake our positivity, who can stake our confidence that he is making us holy. But what else? He's the God who calls. He's the one who calls you into relationship with himself. He's the one who calls you, adopted, part of his family, the one that he knows and loves. Think about this. Think about the God of the universe who spoke everything into being. For him, his word to speak was for it to happen. Now speaks blessing over you and I and says, you are my child who I love and who I've adopted and who I've called, who I've given every blessing in the world. And for me to speak is to have it happen. And he's also the faithful one. I, I think in, in some ways this is the entire argument that the Old Testament is trying to make, that God himself can be trusted because of who he is. He's promised to make you like Christ to transform you. He's promised to help as, and remove the things that are obstacles to fellowship with him. He has promised to make us right with him, to set us apart for his good work. I called a friend yesterday because I wanted to make sure I was right about this. Um, but I was, trying to, I was trying to come up with a picture of what this looks like. And I thought about, um, I thought about what happens when you join the military. Right? When you join the military, you kind of sign a piece of paper, and you know what happens when you sign that piece of paper? You, you take an oath, right, and you're in. You're like in. They haven't given you a uniform yet. They haven't given you training yet. They haven't handed you a weapon or taught you what you're to do or showed you how to salute. Or they haven't done any of that, but you are in. Like it was done. And then you enter a process where you learn how to live in what is, into what is already true. You're already a soldier. You're already a sailor or whatever. Like, you're already that thing, and now we're going to enter in this very long process by which you figure out what that means by submitting to training and instruction and correction and by being encouraged and, and your character formed and your, your body formed and your spirit and your soul and your mission. Like all of that is shaped by something that happened way back here. Because you belong to Jesus. You belong to Christ. And now in this middle part, his goal for you, his purpose for your life is to be growing into holiness. So we're living the way that he's called us to live. To be showing love to him and to others. And so what about you?
Some of you may be hearing this message and you need to stretch. You need to reinvest in what God is calling you to do. You don't graduate from it. You don't get past it. If your heart is beating, this is who you are to be growing in Christ-likeness. Some of you need to be comforted. You've been trying so hard to do it right. And God is saying, hey, this is my work. I'm the faithful one. Some of you guys know that you have friends that need to be encouraged in this. They may have strayed, they may have wandered, they may have disappeared, and you know that God wants you to go to that person because, because that person's holiness is partially your responsibility. So whatever it is, my friends, listen, it is already true of you that you are a saint. You're made holy. Now, let's engage in the process by which God is continuing to set you apart for his good will and purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we can be confident of these things because of who you are, not because of who we are. I thank you that you know us and that you love us. I thank you that you're the God of peace who calls and who is faithful. And God, I ask that even now, even as we sing this song and go our ways, that your spirit would be um, ministering to individual hearts. That your spirit would be calling us into a, a renewal of our commitment to you. Our your spirit would be calling us into a, a sense of peace, knowing you're the one at work. That your, your Holy Spirit would be um, prompting us to think of a friend or a loved one that we might need to speak with. That your spirit would be encouraging us to be known and knowable so that we can experience the love you might have for us and others. Most of all, God, would we, would we be captured by the idea that the, the purpose of our life, to which you have called us to, is to be sanctified in Jesus. And so we ask it in his name. Amen.